On the show today, we learn more about the newest fundraising efforts online and how communities band together for causes they care about. I'm Amarika Raffanelli, and this is Direct Relief Connect. Today, I'm speaking with Jitsu, a gaming broadcaster, and Annie, an operations manager at Direct Relief. Jitsu broadcasts a feed of his webcam and video game to a live audience online. Viewers tune in to hear him talk about his life, react to scary games, and raise funds for causes. He's raised funds for Direct Relief over the past few years by encouraging his live audience to give what they can while he plays. And he introduces crazy incentives to encourage donations. He's even gotten a tattoo to mark a fundraising milestone. Annie Vu is currently the manager of program operations at Direct Relief. She manages requests for medical product from U.S. health centers and collaborates on emergency responses to a multitude of crises worldwide. She's been with the organization for almost six years and not only works for the organization, but also is a monthly donor. Annie, could you introduce yourself to the audience? My name is Annie Vu, and I am a manager on the program operations team at Direct Relief. And, and Jitsu, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Jitsu or Brian. Um, in regards to Direct Relief, I'm going to be doing some volunteer work in regards to broadcasting. I, uh, I stream on Twitch and I mostly just play one game, but I'm trying to, trying to move around, trying to try a bunch of different games. Just whatever's funny, I guess, because people like making me scream. Okay, yeah, you're really into horror games. That's what I read. I, I wouldn't say I'm exactly into horror games. It's just people like watching me play horror games. <laughs> For the scream. Yeah, like one point, um, it was so scary. I was gripping my mouth so hard. I like yeeted it at the wall. I was so scared. I just threw it at the wall and I broke my mouse in the middle of the stream. Sounds very entertaining. Annie, you've been at Direct Relief for six years. So that's a long time. Tell, tell us a little bit about how you got involved and, and how you found Direct Relief. Yeah, so my background, what I studied in college is public health, um, specifically healthcare or health promotion disease prevention. And I volunteered at uh, federally qualified health centers and clinics in LA and in Baltimore. And my passion is in that space. And these organizations um, see their patients regardless of ability to pay. Um, They really are focused on meeting the needs of their community. Um, So I had wanted to look for a nonprofit organization after graduating that had that same mission, that same focus. And I found Direct Relief and, yep, six years is a long time. Um, I've been really grateful to be a part of the growth of the organization and just to see um, us grow through various stages and be able to um, just expand our work in the U.S. and abroad. Yeah, I imagine that Direct Relief has changed a lot. Yeah, I think our um, we physically moved buildings because we had outgrown our warehouse space, which houses all of our donated medicines and supplies. Um, our staff has grown, and I think just the, just the projects that we're able to accomplish as an organization has been phenomenal. And not to mention, you know, our partner network, um, all of our great um, donors, our gaming community. It's just been really neat to see the growth and support and um, where we're headed next. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, Jitsu, have you been to the Direct Relief office? 
No. Um, when I first met Steve, that's from Direct Relief. It was about two years ago, and I was at the booth, but I never got the chance to visit the office. And then just due to the pandemic, things just don't really line up. But eventually, I plan on on taking a visit, visiting Steve and hanging out. So it'll be cool. Yeah, the office is uh, quite the improvement from the the original office. I'm I've heard. Oh yeah, um, I wasn't around. <laughs> Do you have any horror stories from the original office or what, what was it like? We had spent um, you know, decades in that building and we had warehouse space in, I think, four or five physical locations. So whenever we need to sort of build a shipment, potentially we had to you know, uh, drive to other locations to you know, pick up the product and then consolidate it into boxes of pallets at our main location. Just imagining what staff meetings were like in the old building. We all fit into one small conference room, but definitely outgrew the space. Um, And we're very fortunate to be able to have raised funds for our new building. Um, And that has just helped us be more efficient at at what we do um, and setting out shipments and and all of that. And building a a whole um, new cold room for refrigerated um, product. So the vaccines and insulins that have been coming in. It's like this giant freezer. It's it's just so funny that we have this like giant freezer in the warehouse and people like work in it, you know? Oh yeah. So when I um, <laughs> try to describe this to people who aren't sort of in the supply chain space like we are, I tell them like, imagine if you're walking into like Costco in the dairy room, right? Yeah. And that's sort of what we have on a much larger scale just for um, things that need refrigeration. So um, with the refrigeration, what's the temperature normally like? Do you, do you actually know that? or It's typically, we have now two physical, like large walk-in cold rooms. Okay. Um, and one's at two to eight, and then one's at ultra low. We have, um, for the warehouse team, you know, giant jackets that they wear to keep themselves <laughs> comfortable while they're in their building shipments. Um, and yeah, I think you just have to come and visit to see it. It's, yeah, very hard to describe, I think, just being that space. While it's empty, too, is very mind-blowing. I'll have to bring a coat. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah, bring bring a layer. (laughs) Yeah, bring a layer. I remember they would send me in there to, like, take pictures of outgoing shipments. And, yeah, you know, I wasn't prepared for the day. (laughs) And it was, yeah, it's Bridget. (laughs) So, yeah, you'll have to come visit Jitsu. Yeah, I would love to. It would be really fun. Um, but yeah, exactly. I'll I'll bring another layer, maybe a <laughs> coat too, a winter coat. I'm I'm not very good with the cold weather. Um, being from Utah, it's it's like we we deal with a lot of snow here. And I I assume that you are you like an outdoorsy person, um, or or not so much. You know, I uh, I was almost an Eagle Scout, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I ended up just not because like the internet and video games kind of took over. <laughs> so at one point, I would say I'm outdoorsy. I mean, at this point, Utah is really beautiful for landscape and everything. So I, I mean, I have a puppy and I take her on hikes with me. But outside of that, I'd rather just stay inside. It's kind of dangerous outside, you know? It's definitely dangerous. There's just so many variables. I mean, I guess <laughs> I suppose it's like the same thing, like, when I say I'm from California and people are like, oh, you must surf. And it's like, bruh, no, I don't. <laughs> so I suppose you don't go to Zion every weekend. You know, as much as I would love to, nah, it's like two or three hours away. 
Um, and it's just like, it's cool to see like the first couple of times, but it gets kind of old. I don't know. Being, being a local Utah native, it's, it's fun, but I, I don't, it's just like a rock sometimes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Annie, is that how you feel about the ocean? Being in Santa Barbara? Um, yeah, I, I feel a little bit of that. And I also think it's okay to be an indoorsy person. I feel like because of the pandemic, people have embraced their indoorsy side because, you know, social distancing and all of that. So, um, totally. yeah, the ocean, I, I live two minutes from the ocean and I feel like I don't take advantage of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, okay. So Jitsu, I want to talk with you a little bit about your work with, um, the organization Stop Asian American Pacific Islander Hate. Um, I thought that was so cool that you got involved with that. And I just want to learn, you know, hear more about it. Yeah. So this month is actually Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And last month, there was a really large incident that happened in Atlanta, where a person went on a rampage and ended up killing, I believe is eight people, six of them being Asian American. And for me, it was like one of those moments where it struck me really hard because my mom was a massage therapist and she was like in she she did nails and and she was just in that um cos, cosmetic industry and one of the one of the victims that that died was a I mean she was a nail I, she was a massage therapist and it really just put perspective on it for me and it, it was just really connected and you know I just like called my mom and I was really sad and you know my mom she we and her don't talk nearly as much anymore but she always seems to know the right things to say. And, you know, she knew I've been on Twitch for a while. So she just suggested that, you know, I have a very good platform and our community is already known for charity. So, you know, like be, be a beacon or be someone that you can spread awareness and educate people. Like raising money is great, but I think educating people and providing a perspective really, really changes the whole outcome of everything. So I, uh, I wanted to, no one raise a campaign, but I also wanted to collaborate with other content creators. So I really went out and talked to a lot of the AAPI type of content creators out there. And, and we just kind of banded together. And within a matter of, I, I believe our campaign was only a week and a half. We raised $12,000. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it's, it was really heartwarming. And, and honestly, the money's great. But again, the impact that we did as a community you know, mm-hmm. educating people. A lot of people weren't even aware of the situation. So it was just really cool to, to provide that. And then, you know, uh, it was a big culture shock for me. So, you know, growing up in Utah, you know, I'm probably like five Asian kids that graduated in my high school. You know, we were very much a minority. And my whole life, I always felt like I had to fit in and I never really accepted my culture. So like, a really sad example. And, you know, I wish I could go back and give like little jitsu a hug, but I just remember mm. my mom would pack me lunch and, you know, it'd be like something with shrimp. And I used to have to go to the lunch lady to, to microwave it, to heat it up. And like no kid wanted to sit with me. So I always wanted to be the lunchable kid. But yeah, it was like really sad. So I feel like the majority of my life, I kind of just put aside my culture and my heritage uh, this whole AAPI thing was kind of a, I kind of wrapped it around and there's a term that I learned and it's called filial PT and it's a Confucius term. 
And it just means respect your elders. So I ended up, uh, I'm, I'm actually getting a tattoo of that on my neck as kind of an incentive. But I also had my mom come on to stream to kind of explain more of the culture. My, my mom's mixed as well as my dad. So both of my parents are actually from Vietnam and they were able to immigrate here from a visa program that allowed citizenship for, you know, victims of the war. And both of them, yeah, they, they both came here when they were 18, 19, didn't speak a single lick of English and, and just managed to make it work. So it's, it's really incredible. Honestly, my mom, like we always talk about what an American dream is. And, and I think my mom's the perfect representation. I mean, she came here with literally nothing but the clothes on her back. She didn't speak English and she just, she just made it work. And now she's, you know, she's living comfortably and, and she, she has a house and she was able to raise her boys. So, you know, it's, it's just really cool to see everything kind of come around for my mom. I was sharing earlier that, um, so my dad was one of the boat people. So he went on a boat during, this was like, I think maybe during or a little bit after the war had ended. Um, and that was how they had, were hoping to travel to America. Um, so that's sort of like my background um, and sort of the risks that he take. I think it's always a part of me. And I think as a, as um, a child of immigrants, I feel there's a lot of that sense of um, gratitude and privilege um, because of your parents' background and what they've um, sacrificed to, to give you the, <laughs> the upbringing that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, he, actually landed in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, went to, to high school there for a few years, learned English, learned how to drive in, in Utah winter. Um, so that <laughs> wow. is yeah, a piece of story that I always love to share is because he's he's gone through so much and to kind of start his life over and um, support his family that was still back there at the time. Wow, that's incredible. That's so, so incredible. I think that a lot of children of immigrants um, in America have that experience. It's really sad when sometimes I just ask for a fork <laughs> then when, when I'm eating something. <laughs> it's, but, but I mean, to kind of wrap around on that, like it is unfortunate, but I mean, now's a good time to pick up on it and learn, right? It's, a, it's always a good mm-hmm. opportunity and and again, spreading awareness and letting, you know, kids that are born and first, I believe the term is first generation American, yes. um, you know, giving them a platform or giving awareness to let them know it's okay to accept your culture. It's okay to eat shrimp at the <laughs> cafeteria. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you look back, when the kids that are, that, that have these experiences that say they're embarrassed about their lunches, you know, like they're the kids that are eating well. Like those are the lunches that, that we want now, you know, um, yeah. not the Lunchables. I mean, don't get me wrong. The pizza Lunchables still kind of slap, you know, they're pretty good. <laughs> they, they have their moments. Well, for me, I had a sort of like a bit of a disc, well, sort of a disconnect because um, I grew up in a low income background. So we had um, my sisters and I qualified for free reduced lunch, that program. You were able to, you were allocated, you know, like a lunch a day. And so that was when I had, quote unquote, like more American food. So mm. to have like, <laughs> you 
you know, like the pizza square and like the questionable mashed potatoes and gravy. And then that was, and chocolate milk. Like I didn't have that at home. So that was, I don't know, I think a different kind of perspective. Then when I came home, I had, you know, home cooked meals. Um, my Both my parents are from Vietnam. So um, I grew up, um, English was my second language and I grew up eating mainly Vietnamese food at home. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of like curious, like what your experience growing up in Vietnamese families was like. And I, I suppose that you have a lot of overlap in that. And that would probably be, yeah, just kind of like interesting to hear about. For me, uh, there's not a single Vietnamese gathering that you go to where like, it's honestly the decibel level of a concert there. Everyone's just screaming <laughs> over each other. But but in the end, I mean, it's it's a lot of love that's provided. And honestly, my favorite thing about family gatherings is the food. Everyone just brings <laughs> really good food. Um, and no, I mean, everyone's just in support of each other here, especially because we're kind of the minority in Utah. So we kind of just look after each other. But but yeah, if you ever if you ever go to a Vietnamese party, it's either like karaoke, gambling, uh, or yes. just people just the entire time just yelling over each other. But it's really fun. What's your guys' favorite dish? Oof, that's a that's, that's a tough one. So most people <laughs> will immediately just say, in terms of Vietnamese food, it's just pho, mm-hmm. right? Like that's yes, the staple. Yeah. But you can, I love like a good old bowl of bumbu whey, or like my oh, all time favorite is a. Uh, Bunsell. Bunsell. Bunsell, yes. Yeah. yeah. The mm-hmm. pork and shrimp with the fish sauce. And then, like, I think it's dyed with turmeric, turmeric to make powder. it yellow. Yes, the... yeah. Oh my gosh. And then you wrap <laughs> it with some lettuce. It's really refreshing. And the one thing you'll learn about Vietnamese food is it's so vibrant. Everything is so colorful. And and there's a lot of greens in it. It's, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. How about you, Annie? What's your favorite Vietnamese dish? Oh gosh. Um... I, anything with noodles and broth, actually, I, mm. and that's like a large category when it comes to Vietnamese food, but it's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> just like the whole, like usually the whole menu of it, of a Vietnamese restaurant, but I just love that. Like it's, there's some comfort in, in that mix. And, um, I do agree that a lot of the dishes are, there's a good balance between like, um, some of them do have meat, but then you balance it out with a lot of fresh herbs um, and bean sprouts and, you know, all that good stuff. So it's really hard to pick a favorite. <laughs> and in Vietnam, too, um, there's, you know, different regions. So you could have uh, done different ways, mm. too, just within Vietnam. And um, I watched a documentary recently on how Vietnamese food is done differently regionally here in the u.s like you have vietnamese cajun and different types of fusion too so oh that's very true lots wow. of uh, possibilities mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so let's talk a little bit about you know how you guys are both involved with direct relief and um yeah jitsi you you mentioned that that you you're a gamer and you've been you've been streaming raising money for charities um how did you how did you hear about direct relief and and kind of what are you doing for the organization right now yeah um so i've been on twitch and broadcasting for about three years and i originally started my first charity campaign through saint jude's children's hospital and i actually met steve through the monster hunter community he's 
So Steve is a uh, he he I believe he's the web developer for Direct Relief, but uh, he he was very passionate about charity, and I you know he just he could relate with me in a way where um, we we are just wanting to inspire and and kind of you know I I wanted to use my platform for for the better and. And Steve just mentioned that, you know, he actually works for charity as well. And, you know, just within the last three years for my community, we've raised over 40,000 for charities, but I've been able to volunteer on, on Zeldathon. And we've always talked about doing something together for direct relief. So um, this upcoming charity will be playing Monster Hunter together. And, <laughs> you know, we always do, well, I always do dumb things for charity. So like I've ripped off my eyebrows before. Oh my um, god! I have a wow. tattoo on my butt. That's probably the worst one. Oh my gosh! What is the tattoo? Uh, so it's a it's a cute monster from Monster <laughs> Hunter, and oh. it first started off as a joke. I was like, "There's no way we're gonna hit ten thousand. and and like three <laughs> days later, I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> so so I have a big cute bat on my butt. But it's it's really meaningful to me, and although it's a little bit silly, uh, you know, it's something that I can look at and just remind that you know what we've been able to accomplish. So it's really cool. It's probably hard to look at. <laughs> you know, sometimes I get surprised that I even have it. You know, I just hopping up the shower, I'm like, what is that? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I've I've definitely learned my lesson. I mean, I still have another cheek, so I was thinking like maybe maybe th put 15 or 20,000 out there but but yeah I've like waxed my eyebrows and I mean the thing is it's besides the temporary the, besides the tattoo everything's temporary and like my eyebrows will hopefully grow back <laughs> and they did but you know it's like <laughs> it, it, if it helps out a cause and it gets more people interested I'm I'm okay doing a lot of dumb things for money so I I have no shame <laughs> left you know <laughs> that's amazing I, I kind of want to get involved with the next. Um, I directly posted, I think, Zeldathon two, three years ago. Um, so that'd be kind of cool to get. I don't know what's. How, <laughs> I don't know, but I wouldn't volunteer any staff, but I would volunteer myself <laughs> to do any of these. Maybe not a tattoo, but. I, yeah, you know. I'm not getting a tattoo on my butt, but and I'm not going <laughs> to wax my eyebrows either. So <laughs> someone come up with some better. A middle ground. A yeah. Middle ground, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so Annie, tell us a little bit about what you've been working on. I know um, Direct Relief has been busy, so yeah, how have you? How has that impacted you? Um, yes, uh, busy is a good way to describe it. <laughs> it's an organization we, we're we're handling a lot, um, but we have a really great team. Um, so I guess my yeah, my experience and most of my work is uh, U.S. focus. Um, I know there's lots going on um, internationally. Um, in the U.S., we're gearing up for the beginning of hurricane season, which also applies to our national um, partners June 1st. Um, so we're um, packing hurricane preparedness packs, which are sort of like mobile pharmacies. So they have their, if you can imagine, like large waterproof tubs full of medicine supplies. Uh, we deploy them ahead of hurricane season so that when they are there at the clinic, they could be used in case of a disaster. And then once hurricane season is over, then um, they could use it for their normal clinic operations. So 
there's that. Uh, there's wildfire season, which I don't think is a season anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. There's uh, we're also supporting. Uh, camps um, that are medically focused. So they see or they provide um, a traditional camp experience um, to kids, speaking of kids, um, who are diagnosed with diabetes and hemophilia um, Mm -hmm. so that um, they're able to um, have that camp experience with um, other kids who have this similar condition and to learn how to manage their conditions. So um, that's sort of coming up. we, a lot of our camp partners had to um, postpone or cancel their sessions last year completely due to the pandemic. Mm. So I know that they're very eager to um, get back to camp this summer. Um, so we're really excited to um, support their programs. Um, but besides that, there's a lot of our ongoing work, a lot of emergency response going on. Um, it's really never boring at direct relief. <laughs> Um, yeah so yeah that's that's a little bit are you involved with the India response at all I I am not um so my other team members are um so we are yeah I say we as in (laughs) many people who not including myself um are organizing charters plural which is so impressive um with um FedEx's partnership and all of our donor companies um sending out supplies to India and then now Nepal. So. so, yeah, just to clarify, these are charter planes that we're filling with literally tons <laughs> of medical supplies. And yes, like yeah. oxygen concentrators and PPE. Um, yeah, that's huge, huge effort. Um, thanks to a lot of folks on staff and, again, our donors. So um, it's going to – it's – been much needed and we're going to try to support as much as we can well I guess just lastly um Annie you kind of gave us gave us a little preview of what's upcoming for you fire season hurricanes um Jitsu what what are you looking forward to yeah so um I am wrapping up this month uh I'm this is my third year for raising money for St. Jude's um, and then next month, I'm going to be doing work with Direct Relief and we're going to be doing a segment for Monster Hunter. So I'm really excited. It's something that Sweet. me and uh, Steve have always wanted to do together. And, and now we have the opportunity to. So really looking forward to that. Thank you guys so much for, for joining Direct Relief Connect. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I was really looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks. If you're interested in seeing Jitsu's segment on Zeldathon's side quest event, you can tune in on June 11th at twitch.tv/zeldathon. <laughs> <laughs>